Welcome to episode 20 of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm your crazy co-host, Ray Coob, and my partner in crime... It's Marcus in the Darkest. Hello. You know, we had a big party. We did. To celebrate our 20th podcast at our sponsor's location, Crooked Eye Brewing in Hapro. Of course, they're great guys there. And they were very understanding when we found out after recording and doing technical checks out the wazoo. We got back to uh, the shack, so to speak. And we found out that the uh, crowd noise had overrun pretty much all the audio that we'd recorded, especially uh, me. I was like not there. And uh, all of the great. Uh, five favorites that were delivered by the people who came to hang with us. First off, I want to thank all of them for uh, doing their five favorites, which is the albums from high school, right? Everybody's got five favorite albums from high school. And um, I want to thank them for doing that. Sorry, I even tried to save, uh, go in and just save those from from that episode. And so uh, here we are. It's episode 20. We want to thank the gang of Crooked Eye once again for being part of the party and uh, sponsoring us here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. And this is episode Episode 20, and it's your five favorite high school albums. Ray, this is one of those podcasts where you need to take yourself back to those golden years of unabated freedom, that time where our bodies and minds were changing simultaneously. We were finding out who we were. We were also finding out who we would become. And music played a large part in our lives, spending many solitary hours in the basement on the shag carpet with headphones listening to vinyl. (laughs) Or when we were with our friends, we were hanging out, albums, cassettes, sometimes even eight tracks were almost always playing in the background. And and because of who we were becoming and who our friends were, we listened to a lot of music. Yeah. Some more than others. So today, we're going to trip back to those years of irresponsibility, freedom, and growth high school. We will share our five favorite high school albums with you in hopes that after listening, you will share yours with us via email or social media. You know, you think about what you were just saying there, and it's so true. Uh, We were physically in high school. You're going through so many changes. We were learning so much about life and music, certainly prior to uh, the intermingling with the other sex, if that's your thing, before discovering your sexuality. Music played an even bigger part in developing your head, your heart, and who you were. So when you added the magic of sex, it kind of all started to make sense, a lot more sense when it came to rock and roll because the grown-ups always told us it's music for, you know, below the waist, and we didn't quite understand what that was (laughs) until we started discovering our sexual selves too. So no no small measure that that's an element that plays into the music that really touched you, as the Doors might say, in your high school years. But um, there's a different approach to this five favorites which is quickly becoming a a, a listener favorite uh, category that we do and usually what we do is we do the five favorites in a certain thing and then we play a countdown to number one and there's a big reveal between you and I but we kind of already know what the hell we're up to because we did this when we recorded (laughs) over a crooked eye so high school albums tend to stick with us too even if you don't listen to them all the time high school albums do tend to stay with us through the years and like pretty much everyone I've talked to about this I really had a hard time just naming five and and I spill over a little bit so I'll beg your pardon on the front side of this Marcus I hear you it was the same for me there were so many albums that we listened to so many albums that built our collections at that time period and so many different albums who had songs that occupied the mixtapes that we made for our friends and for our parties. Remember mixtapes? Oh, yeah. I was in charge of making those for our high school friends. And I've actually, if I can get some pictures,
pictures of some of the old mixtapes that we have from some of my high school friends. Right. I'll post some of those mixtapes up for us. But yeah, there was a lot of U2, the English beat. There was uh, Little Pink Floyd. Let's not get think, into okay. too much yeah, about what All right, was we'll on cut there. that out. But no, yeah, no, there was no, a no. lot of good you mix say music. That, but we can leave it in there. I'm going to talk about it when we're doing our counting down because I got I know what's on your list, brother. I know. The other thing is, and any of my friends from high school and even after high school will all nod their head if they're listening to this. Did you become the guy who was expected to bring the records to the party? Because I know I was. I'd walk in with like my little handheld with they held about twenty, and people would always want what was in there and what was coming out and I kind of would take anybody's house I didn't give a shit I just took over the stereo people didn't seem to mind because my discs were sweet I didn't bring discs because all of my friends or most of my friends who housed the social gatherings yeah. besides myself had stereos and album collections as well, but I always made the mixtapes. Gotcha. I always made the mixtapes. I don't know how it ended up that way. But DJs from the beginning, ended, weren't I, we? It goes back to, I told you I wanted to do that, Mom, as a kid, and now I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Did we ever tell Mom that we were wanted to be podcasters? Nah, she actually cracks up on this one, and she actually thinks that we curse too much on Sorry, this Sorry, Mom. We Sorry, love you. We do love you, and sometimes we say things that are a little iffy, but it's just the truth. It's the rock the and truth, roll party boy. The rawness, so. It's the rock and roll party <laughs> mouth in me, Mama. Can't help it. Well, she's, she's from North Jersey. She knows all about oh, the potty mouth, oh. so seriously. All right. <laughs> well, you know, I think we did a really great rundown of our five favorites, but I had a problem with too many albums, and in addition to too many albums, I have five favorite greatest hits records from high school, and I also have uh, favorite live albums from high school. And I think that that's, you know, uh, an indicator of where our record, or maybe my record collecting was at that time. So who wants to start here at number five? I'll go with number five. Go since for it. We're starting. Uh, da, 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 ba, 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 I'm looking back. Uh, You've got a long list, and you I have know, I all do. those handwritten editions. Okay, you wrote number his five. Entire collection down. Elvis Costello, My Aim is True. Oh, great album. It man. really is. You know. Elvis, that first album, really took us all by surprise. I was uh, out of high school or just, you know, like in the early college years. But for you, it must have been prime high school time. It was actually, it came out before I was in high school. I learned about it at the end of middle school, early high school. Right, right. Older brothers or sisters of friends had right. it, and we heard it, and we're like, whoa, what is that? And I think I'd heard watching the Detectives or Allison on mainstream radio at Angels some point as well. Angels Wear My Red Shoes, yep. stuff and, like that And just we had college me. radio, which was KBCO in Boulder. Right. And uh, so we heard some of this stuff, and we were blown away by it. And even uh, our AOR, our WMMR of Denver, KZY at the time, would play this stuff once in a while. Now, when this record came out, there were three current rock stations in Philadelphia and everybody was falling all over each other over records and getting things first but I remember Q102 was a rock station then and they started breaking this album out and then uh, MMR and YSP were right there YSP was the slowest one to get to it because they were more of a straight up rock station Okay. but you know MMR in their history has played everything and they were there playing uh, multiple tracks as everybody was in fact because of our buddy Pierre I got to meet Elvis he came in on the Spike album Wow. And visited him when we were still in Rittenhouse Square. Wow. And George Stone brought him by. I love George Stone. Hi, George. Thank you, George, for getting me to WMMR. You are amazing. And while there, I had my Elvis albums with me, and uh, he autographed my copy of My Aim is True. Oh, that's amazing. That's unbelievable, man. It's that in is. my collection. It's in a box somewhere. I'll take a picture of it and put it up on the Facebook page or something. 
Please do. But, I mean, if you look at it, there's not a bad song on the album. <sighs> no. Like, seriously, there's not a bad song on the album. It's quirky. It's eclectic. It's unique. There's an anger about it, but not like a rage, destroy the world, be destructive type of rage or right. anger. It's a kind of a punk ethos. Yes, it's a punk ethos. Yeah. You can still bit. be angry and be kind. Yeah. And while he was angry, he was still not, and maybe sort of schmendricky at that time, and before he mellowed out, he was still not mean or vile or anything like that. The other thing about Elvis Records, the first few especially, was, you know, you could get 12, 13 songs on there easy because there were a lot of short records. So I think he had one album, he had like 16 songs, 18 yeah, songs. Yeah, This all Girl or one yeah, of those yeah. is and, like... And so I always blue. used to say, I'm buying the new Elvis, it's more bang for your buck, man. Look yeah. at all those songs, man. And all of those albums are also good every single one of them in the 80s you know all that or 70s going into the 80s and then you know he changed and he morphed with uh the punch the clock album and then the spike album which you mentioned in later years this sounds like an elvis episode but which yeah, we no. have to do by the way yes it's, we do be at great. some point but that was my number five so my what's your number five was under the christmas tree uh, i think it was christmas 1971 it was the first big christmas for albums for me and a whole bunch of stuff was there the second record of deep purple's Mach 2 lineup. I was already a Deep Purple fan, but I loved Machine Head. It's when Smoke on the Water was new and you weren't tired of guys playing it on guitar, you know, that kind of stuff. In every song, uh, the depth of the material, all the songs had certain merits, whether they were great rock anthems or not. You had an amazing unit. You had John Lord, who I've always said in our podcast is the first heavy metal keyboardist, driving things. Uh, You had Richie Blackmore, Roger Glover, who really directed the band moving forward through the decades, really took hold along with Ian Gillen in their second record. And through it all, Little Ian back there playing some of the greatest drums in rock and roll. One of the most underappreciated, underestimated uh, drummers in rock and roll, Ian Pace, in my opinion. So that was my number five. I still play it. I have it on CD. It's on the uh, iPod. I play it all the time. Something about Highway Star in the car. You know what I'm saying? Highway Star is a magical song. There's just something about it that just makes you want to move. I love that album, and I love that band. I remember watching heavy metal many a times and hearing their music in the cartoon in the early days, late junior high, early high school days. And your number four is now. Number four is actually an album that represents three albums that I played the living shit out of in high school from the minute I had the four actually wait a minute let me make it five (laughs) if my mother were alive she's saying oh it must be Alice Cooper and she'd be right I'm putting billion dollar babies at number four but I really played the hell out of killer love it to death and school's out and uh, later I went back and got the early records and I kept buying even through muscle of love and stuff huge Alice Cooper fan from the beginning and to get to meet interview and hang out with Alice later in my career if you had told me like back in the mid 70s oh yeah in about uh, 15 years you're gonna meet Alice Cooper and you're gonna hang out with him and play Jeopardy uh, uh, you know like watching having dinner watching Jeopardy playing Jeopardy with Alice Cooper I'd have said what (laughs) that's my number four billion dollar babies What's yours? My number four is David Bowie's Scary Monsters. Super Creeps. I remember getting that album when it was new and still playing it through all of my high school years, which my high school years were 81 to 85. 
And so some yeah. of these albums mm-hmm. were a little older, but... Yeah, but sometimes that happens with high school yes. albums. They come out before you go to high school, yeah. and that's why they're already part of the soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is one of them. I mean, Up the Hill Backwards, Scary Monsters, Super Creeps are two of my all-time favorite songs. There's just something about that album that holds really special to my heart. It's the vibe. It's the energy. It's the yeah. offness of it. It's the fact that Bowie was never afraid to be who he was. I think that really resonated hard with me because I know how constricting my parents were at that time. And I was developing and who they wanted to develop me into. So there was that battle going on. And to see somebody like David Bowie do these amazing things with not only the videos, but the sound, it just took me away into this place. Well, think about it. When he went to Berlin, he did low and... Scary Monsters is kind of like the full realization of that period of his of his recording career. It was like the summit, reaching yeah. the summit of what he was going for. And the sounds were challenging and quirky, and it took some people a long time to get their ears around it. Absolutely. And I think we need to do an episode on the Berlin years because his Iggy Pop was there and Nick Cave was there with the birthday party at that time. Oh, and there was, so a, whole there was a lot of heroin lot of stuff going on. A lot on of heroin that. in that time there period. There was. And it was crazy, but it was also a time of brilliant music and as well as decadence and insanity. So that is my number four. My number three, the English Beat Wappen. Their second album. Right. I was big in the ska scene. Me the too. Two tone records were huge. Madness, Selector. You know what I was doing when all those records were coming out? What were you doing? I was not actually in college, but somehow I kept working in college radio until I figured out how to do it, you know, for real mm-hmm. over the commercial airway. I was in college radio, man, and all these records were coming out one after the other. You just need like three or four records. of them. Oh, it was just unbelievable. And so much great music and discovery of ska, which led to me going back and discovering all the early bands and the, all the early sounds of ska from Jamaica. So, But that's such a, and it's such a seminal album for the time you were in high school. Oh, absolutely. The, just the music, the dancing, the pushing for no racism, no hate, the really? whole mod aspect of the mm-hmm. two tones and two tone black and white in harmony. And yeah. there was a lot of that attitude amongst the musicians in the alternative scene at that time period, especially amongst two-tone records. You had madness in that scene. You had specials in that scene. I mentioned Selector. There's so many great bands. If you look at the two-tone record collection over the years, it's phenomenal. But songs like Doors of Your Heart, songs like Dream Home in New Zealand, still to this day, I can sing and I still know every word to every single song on that album. That is the the way it is with every one of these five that we're talking about. That about. is the key to what we're talking about. These are the s- albums that you know by heart. You know, Jimmy Buffett but, did that best of collection songs you know by yeah, heart. Well, these are the totally. albums you know by heart. Absolutely. And I think the thing that we said at the beginning is we all have them. Oh, we yeah. all have these albums where you can put it on no matter what form you have it in. And all of a sudden you realize, I know every word to every song. But I couldn't even tell you where my fucking keys are at the moment. Uh, mine are in the bag. <laughs> With the but tank. seriously, you're right. It's every word to every song. So yeah. that's my number three. What's your number three? Wait a minute. I think we need to take a break here in the middle of this episode Bingo. of the Imbalanced History number 20 to thank and mention our good sponsors at Crooked Eye Brewing. Uh, we had a great time there, and we will return for a more successful recording session down there. Better uh, mics, better equipment. Was I wrong about Crooked Eye when I told Dude, you you're going to feel right amazing. at home the minute you come through the door? 
store. Yep, the bartenders are awesome. Yeah. The, uh, I can't remember the young lady's name behind the bar, but she was really nice, very helpful. She let me taste a couple of beers. Yeah. The uh, Black Eye Stout was wonderful. Yeah, you really were Absolutely digging on that. Absolutely wonderful. I dig that beer. I like dark beers, and even though it was pretty damn hot, yeah. it still tasted really nice. Well, that and uh, my standby, the old Regimental 80, is just always great there. Whatever you're going to have, it's fresh from the taps. They make it right on site, and it's kind of cool, don't you? know? You met Paul and Paul. They're the brothers-in-law who got things started along with uh, Jeff Mulherin, who's uh, Paul Mulherin's son, and they started doing this in the kitchen and getting a, they had a little bar there in Hapro right there at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hapro. The heart of Hapro is where you'll find Crooked Eye, and it just keeps growing and getting better. And now the Crooked Eye band is breaking out. They're, they're in the running to be the next WMGK house band. They'll be competing on August 15th. You get the details on that and everything else. There's always stuff going on at the Crooked Eye on the Crooked Eye website where you can vote for them if you want to vote for the Crooked Eye band at WMGK.com. Meet the Crooked Eye crew who make every night fun, and maybe you'll make some new friends, too. That's what you do there, I think, more than anything. You saw all the mugs that are hanging on the wall. Yeah. Everybody who comes in who's a regular, they, they buy their mug, and they get a little hook, and they, you know, yeah. there's like kind of a little fraternity of uh, frothy friends. You know yeah. what I mean? If you want to buy a growler, they have good prices on the Great. growlers as yeah. well. So yeah. for a small brewery, those prices are pretty damn solid. And like I said, I really enjoyed the hell out of the Black Eye Stout, and I tasted your red regimental 80 and that's really a smooth beer too. always dude. something smooth. fresh coming out so check it all out they're serving nightly in the heart of hapro crooked eye is the cure for what ails you since 2014 right there at uh, 13 east montgomery avenue in hapro so we thank them and uh hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. We continue with our five favorites, the albums you loved from high school, and my number three is actually two. I can't. <laughs> You've got seven. I can't. You've already got nine in your top five. I can't. <laughs> no, I really can't just say Houses of the Holy from Led Zeppelin at number three, because as big as that was to me, I mean, I went to, that's the album, I went to the store the day it came out and bought it, took it home and played it until my mother said, stop! 
But Led Zeppelin Four, I had that right from earlier, and all through high school, all those songs, all those great songs. Do I have to list them all? I don't think I do. No. The power of Zeppelin coming through, and uh, that's why Houses of the Holy and Led Zeppelin Four is my number three. I'm pulling a Mamas and the Papas move on you here. Should I go to number two? I think you should. Well, number two is also two. I could make it three albums, but we'll talk about live albums in a minute because David Bowie's live album, David Live, is a huge part of anybody who went to high school in the 70s soundtrack, especially in this area, in Philadelphia area. I would say my number two album has to be Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars because it was everywhere on the radio. It was influential in every way that we've discussed about David Bowie. But I also got to give some cred to Diamond Dogs. And I can tell you, Dot was not happy when she opened up that album cover and saw that David Bowie artwork with the top half. And she probably was used to seeing his mug around the house. But when she saw the back half of the gatefold and it was David Bowie naked from the waist down, but he was a dog, I think that was a little more than my mom could take. (laughs) But, you know, so those two are, I would say, are my number two. But, you know, I'll give it to Ziggy just like I gave it to Billion Dollar Babies. What's your number two, buddy? My number two is a three-album collective. Actually, a (laughs) four-album collective. I mean, it's seriously, like you said, and we've both repeated throughout this podcast, it's almost impossible to cut it down to five. Well, I've got honorable mentions when we get to the end, too. Oh, wait till you see my list of honorable mentions. I just added one to it. Oh, my God, look Um, at that. I know, it just keeps growing. The Clash London Calling. Yes. Because of the hugeness of that album. But right behind it are Sandinista, Give Them Enough Rope, the debut Clash album, and then midway through high school, uh, the the Combat Rock came out. So it was pretty much a Clash discography, and there was always at least one or two Clash songs on the 90-minute mixtapes that we made. You gotta understand, all those albums came out after I got out of high school. Your college years. Uh, yeah, kinda. Uh, 80s, uh, uh, the end of my college years, even though I was out of college by then. And I can't tell you how much London Calling meant to me as a, as a, a person who was a young guy. I was 22 when it came out. It was the most amazing album because there were all these different textures and sounds. And my previous exposure to The Clash had been on Give Em Enough Rope and the first record where I thought, they really had more of a punky, grindy feel to it. Mm-hmm. Not like the Ramones, where it was, you know, like that. But when you get to that that record, it's all kinds of textures. There's Lost in a Supermarket. You got your Rudy Can't Fail. All yeah, these amazing. Jimmy Jazz. Jimmy yeah, Jazz. Death you or get... Glory, Coca-Cola, oh, oh. Card Cheat. Yes. I mean, Solid. Ah, you just, every single song on the album is so good. You're right. It's a deep textured album. And in the first two albums, not only are they punky, but they fuck around with the reggae groove as well. True. And they do it really well. White Man in Hammersmith Palais is still my favorite Clash song of them all. And, you know, Give Them Enough Rope. I mean, it opens up with just a punch in the face, safe European home. It just wallops the shit out of you. Yeah. And they're not fucking around, but their sense of humor, too, is brilliant. Joe and Mick had great senses of humor in their songwriting. Their sarcasm was brilliant. They had no problem making fun of the system for the bullshit that it was. Both are educated. They did call it. And Joe Strummer's Clash music, a lot of it, like, clamped down like London Calling, like, this is Radio Clash, or just as relevant today as they were when they were written and when they were recorded. I agree. And that makes people uncomfortable to hear, but the Clash were very anti-establishment as is, very anti-capitalist establishment. Yeah, and that's why it made sense when they put out Sandinista, which some people didn't quite 
grasp because it was three discs. Some people didn't get it at first, even though they all loved London Calling. And you had to really listen to Sandinista to feel it all deep down into mm-hmm. all the deep tracks. And uh, I don't have that on CD. I haven't heard it in a long time, but boy, I would like to get a hold and listen to that. Maybe I'll find it somewhere on the internet. I think I have it on CD and I can get mm, you a copy. I'll have to look sweet. in my collection. So. Hey, it's a music collective as well as a podcast. <laughs> it's the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. So that's my number two. You ready for my number one? I am ready for your number one favorite album from high school, Marcus. It is U2's Boy, the innocence, the naivete, the growing up, the developing, the changing, all were so relevant to Dude, they were so young time. when they exactly. made that record. Larry 17, was still a teenager. years yeah. old when they did a lot of those songs. And even though life in Ireland was very difficult to being Catholic, to being Protestant and their families being involved in the IRA bombings that were happening in the 60s, 70s, and we 80s. Ha- we had the troubles. Yes, they had the troubles, and it comes across, that aspect of their life comes yeah. across more in the October record, which is a little darker, but if you listen to songs like Stories for Boys, if you listen to Ancot Doob, Into the Heart, I mean, you have I Will Follow, which has been a radio Electrico. staple, Electrico, Out of Control. Yeah. They're all brilliant songs. They're all so powerful and they all really at that time resonated to teenagers going through change i was going through change too i had gotten married had a child and i was working the factory life and i'm driving to work for second shift one afternoon and joe bonadonna senior comes on the radio on mmr and says this is a new band from ireland they're called you too this song's called i will follow and i was hooked. I've been hooked for the last 40 plus years because of that first burst. I went to the store the next day and bought it, and then, then I couldn't wait for October to come out. And I was there waiting for them for records to come out from them every year through the years, and still now. I still look forward to a new U2 album, almost like a kid looking forward to Christmas. I hear you, man. I actually have the European import version of it, which I got at Wax Tracks in cool. Denver, which is where I got all of these albums that I was listening to. But again, I still listen to U2's Boy and go back. I immediately, when I hear these albums, go back to those years and what was going on in my life and where I was. Well, my number one you couldn't get away from in the Philadelphia area if you tried. One of the most anticipated releases of 1975, partially because the single and title track Born to Run had already been played on the radio in Philadelphia for quite some time, is the Born to Run album. Constant presence in my life since those days, since it first came out. I think I burned through a couple different copies. Uh, There's a couple in storage and the one I still break out when I need a an album fix of Born to Run. By the way, it still has a little bit of the residuals from the days when it was employed for rolling things. And uh, <laughs> I, brought, I played it on uh, my vinyl uh, feature on MGK one time and brought it in, my, and I pointed that out to Andre. I was like, dude, it's still in the crack. But think of the songs, man. The songs, what it meant. You talk about that unbridled freedom feeling that you have when you're young and you're free and you're in high school and you think of Born to Run, you think of Jungle Land, maybe one of the greatest rock songs ever of all the amazing million rock songs. Thunder Road, the songs about New York, meeting across the river, and just every song full of life and energy, the production style, just everything about it really screams my high school years. So that's why Born to Run from the Boss, Bruce Springsteen, is my number one.
I wasn't a big Bruce Springsteen guy in the late 70s, early 80s. It was when I got to college at American University for a year and a half in D.C. when I learned to appreciate him through a lot of my... You moved to the right geography yeah. to be encircled in, and wrapped up in it. That's what it was. Kind of like that new movie. Have you seen that, uh, the uh, movie Blinded by the Light? Um, I have not seen the movie yet, well, but it's I've, not out I've yet. seen the trailer, yes. I've finally got the whole gist of the story. The woman who is the director had an invite to the Promise premiere a few years ago with Bruce Springsteen, and she took the guy who wrote the movie Blinded by the Light with her as her plus one, and where they encountered Springsteen had a minute because they knew they had to have Bruce on board, not just his permission and approval. And basically, they outlined the whole thing to Bruce in a couple minutes, you know, the elevator pitch, and he just said, sounds great, call John Landau. And then he got all integrated into that project, Blinded by the Light, which is kind of the essence of what we're talking about, because the guy who uh, wrote it, uh, I think his name's Farkas, he was a, a Pakistani kid in London who really didn't know Bruce Springsteen and got immersed in his music, and uh, I can't wait to see it. Uh, it's not out yet, but we'll we'll be going to see that one. But a little Bruce uh, information for you, if rock and roll movie uh, genre, because later Lately, it seems like some great rock and oh, roll yeah. movies are hitting us here. I still haven't seen the Bernie Toppin, Elton John Me movie either. yet, but on. I am going to see it soon. And there are a few documentaries that I want to rewatch because we have some upcoming episodes that are going to be tying to those. Also, when you said something, it gave me an idea for a pocket pod, or not a pocket podcast, but an episode that we're going to uh, do. When we interview people, Ray, we should ask everybody what the greatest rock and roll song of all time is to them and oh. then just list them all and just do an well, episode. Yeah. Yeah, that. And yeah. just cut that out of any interview we do and then just That's harder than five those. faves, man. I know, but everybody has that one song. Well, I'm so thinking like of you Jungle, said, Land. Jungle Land. So like you said Jungle Land, like cuz you said Jungle Land and so that's where I got that idea from. Speaking of Jungle Land, Big C, my man, yeah. you're talking about documentaries. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you see cuz I can't wait to see it. Who do I think I am? It's something that he was working on before he passed that they finished afterwards and it's a really cool concept where he just walks out on the street and starts playing saxophone and they film it to see what happens and see how long it takes people to recognize who he is, that kind of Whoa. stuff. And uh, that's just one part of it, but I'm really looking forward to see it. It's called Who Do I Think I Am? It's, it's, I think it's out on DVD. Wow, I'm going to have now, to watch so. that. Yeah, there's so, so many. There if you I are. watch TV, I'd rather watch like sports and rock and roll stuff. Yeah, it's me so, too. So five faves we talked about. Let's talk about some of the ones that we also listen to. Well, Let's do a quick mention because I ain't done yet either. Well, go ahead, do your honorable mentions. Right, some of my I, I could do quicker mentions. if you want. I could. I only have here are my two honorable mentions. Okay. Yes, fragile and uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival's Cosmos Factory. Still both current presence in my life in musical listening, but they're my two honorable mentions that I couldn't go without mentioning but i have a ton of also rants all right my two honorable mentions are in excess the swing it came out for my yeah. last two years of high school but i listened to the living fuck out of that album that was the beginning of my mmr days and such then, a big part uh, of it i met hutchins uh, back then god what a sexy human being he, yes, was. he was god man he sexy just oozed charisma and then i was trying to think about one other one that i listened to a lot but there were so many and i would have to say the combo of the Cars debut album and Candy yeah. because those were a part of everybody in my group of friends and my neighborhood soundtracks for summer. See, they're tweener life. records for us because yep. I was out of high school and you weren't yet in high school, but somehow those albums make yep. it onto both of our turntables oh, regularly in the late 70s. They crossed over really well onto pop radio yeah. as well as rock radio, and then you had them on the deep cut AOR radio, you had them on college radio, so they were getting hammered everywhere. Yeah. And while they weren't the most exciting live band as far as moving around and doing 
doing things. They got up there and they sounded great live. I got to see them twice live. Before you know what they used to say on those late night TV commercials? But wait, there's more. Because <laughs> here's here's like this is like a cross section of the soundtrack of my high school yeah. years. ZZ Top, Fandango, wow. Rolling Stones, Goat's Head Soup, Frampton Comes Alive, Court and Spark, and Hissing of Summer Lawns from Joni Mitchell. She oh, was geez. huge in my life. Now this will surprise you. Loggins and Messina's debut album. You ready? What? Yeah, I thought I would. The first album from America. Sweet. Desolation Boulevard. What? And of course, even though I, th- these were on the radio all oh, the time and were part albums. of the soundtrack, Floyd's Dark Side, wow. Steve Miller, The Joker, Toys mm-hmm. in the Attic from Aerosmith, all part of the soundtrack of my high school years. The Wall was a big one for us in our high school years. Sure. You had the Def Leppard records, Pyromania, oh. and the one before it with uh, I was Bringing on that. the Heartbreak. Yeah. But we were also listening to like Gang of Four Entertainment, King Crimson's uh, Discipline, The Pretenders 1 and 2, The Police Records. Yeah. Yeah. Adam and the Ants, Ant Music, and the Prince Charming album. We also had, like, uh, Boston's album was always being played a lot because no matter where you fell right. on the music spectrum, you could not deny the greatness of that album. Right. The Water Boys, the Hoodoo Gurus, Joy Division we were listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, New Order was just starting to get their wings. Big Country's The Crossing, which is a brilliant album that I rediscovered about 20 years ago and just got onto a kick with that one about two years ago. You have punk bands like Flipper, the Dead Kennedys that we were listening to, Black Flag, uh, The Meat Men. Uh, there were albums like Not So Quiet on the Western Front, the first four REM albums, so... That's kind of where I was. Yeah, and it sounds like everything that I was playing in college radio mm-hmm. was what was your high school. So cool. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> rad, dude. Well, you know, there were live albums in the uh, in the seventies too. I mentioned David Live earlier. Uh, the Allman Brothers Live at the Fillmore East. Uh, Frampton Comes Alive and uh, Humble Pie Rock in the Fillmore. All big favorite live albums. And then now, I don't know if this applies as much to you, but I was a forty five kid who graduated into buying albums. So what I did was I would buy stuff like Creedence Gold and Hot Rocks, Elton John's Greatest Hits, Cat Stevens' Greatest Hits, or even the Eagles' Greatest Hits, because I didn't buy all those 45s, or I had all the 45s, and I wanted all those great songs in one place. That's the way the mental, the mentality was at that stage, because, you know, we're high school kids, and we didn't have all the money in the world. We would Changes, have to buy yeah, Changes Bowie was one of the first Greatest Hits records I got. The Eagles' yeah. Greatest Hits and Hot Rocks were the three. Oh, another album that was big in our high school was ACDC's Back in Black. I mean, that was part of everybody from pretty much 81 on. I mean, it was part of your high school no matter what the fuck you say from 81 on because that album had that effect. So there they are, our five favorites and then some from high school. (laughs) The glorious free years, man. It's so funny because I have a podcast update. You're going to love it. It plays in thematically to what we've been discussing here because, first off, it involves Led Zeppelin and Houses of the Holy, which I mentioned. And it mentions, uh, it involves the uh, Giant's Causeway, which comes into play because you mentioned you too in Northern Ireland. We were talking about Houses of the Holy and how it was inspired by uh, Arthur Clarke's uh, novel Childhoods End, but what we were talking about in episode 13 was how we were talking about technology, I think, and we were talking about how they had to pose all these kids on the hill and the, the challenges of the weather and photography and light and all those things. Well, guess what? It turns out it really was actually only two kids, only they didn't have Photoshop. So what they did with the Giants Causeway was they took the two kids, they were brother and sister, 
Victor Stefan and Samantha Gates, and they posed them in all those different places on the rocks that are the Giants Causeway, shot it all, and then pulled the negatives and, and edited them all together. So they did massive layering. Yeah, and, and that's what they had to do because of the different uh, textures of the film and the different uh, aspects of light and whatever ratio they got. That's why you have the coloration that you have by the guys at Hypnosis to make it into an album cover. And uh, they chose that location over a couple different ones, which were considered, including uh, one in Peru. So oh. that's oh, it's behind uh, the album cover of uh, Houses of the Holy. And that's our podcast update for the 20th episode of the imbalanced history of rock and roll. On that podcast, I'd say, could you imagine being one of those bands who says, well, yeah, I want to go to Machu Picchu and shoot my album cover on the top of Machu Picchu. Okay, you're Led Zeppelin, we'll do it. Right, then... Like, seriously, back then, you could do that. If you were Led Zeppelin, if you, a band tried to do that with a label now, they would stop returning their phone calls about it or not answer their <laughs> emails or texts about it because they'd be like, uh, not in budget is a term that bands these days have had to learn to deal with. The good news is technology has given a lot of bands edges that the bands from the 70s, 80s, and 90s even didn't have as far as every aspect from production to artwork to the uh, transportation of said media, you know? True. But uh, yeah, that's uh, after all that, we went, oh, look, they had to get all those kids out there in the rain. It turns out they didn't need or have the technology, so they just did it the old way and cut the multiple pictures together. So that's the story of Houses of the Holy Cover and the Giant Causeway. Pretty cool. Great update, man. Well, that wraps it up. 20 and counting. And we thank you for uh, what you guys do every week. More and more of you are telling a friend. We hear it. We feel it. And we thank you so much. Uh, We want to thank the rooster. Uh, He is over in Ireland who just discovered us. He's an old Philadelphia guy who transferred his life over to Ireland and has been uh, lamenting not being able to hear American radio. And he is really excited to hear the the Imbalanced History podcast. So rooster, spread the word over there. I know you go to a few pubs in your neighborhood, so tell everybody there and if you, and if you're in France we we didn't talk about France if you're in yeah, France no. we know you're listening we presume that you understand us but please let us know who you are and how you found out about us because we're seeing the hits coming from over there yeah. Mondu Mondu so that's yeah, I it just, I just spent uh, 20 days watching the Tour de France every morning so yeah, thank you very much to our French listeners the tour was incredible this year the best tour we've had in about the last decade with the excitement and uh, no one team dominating and it was a thrill to the end next year julian alaphilippe has a great chance of winning the tour and bringing the title back home to france all right then so we need to give out the information on how people can reach out to us how they can spread the word we have a facebook page it's called the imbalanced history of rock and roll on facebook uh go go figure Uh, (laughs) we we named it that but you can get in touch with us through our website we encourage you to go there it's imbalancehistory.com you can click on the contact us button and tell us what you need us to know that takes you right to our gmail account imbalancehistory at gmail.com that's another way to reach out and touch us here in the uh, back studio well, that's going to do it for episode 20, man. 20 episodes and so many more to go. So many more to go. Wrapping it up here in the studios at Dark Doc Media, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time, episode 21 on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.